Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. This podcast is brought to you in part by Sovereign Sportsman Solutions. As conservation officers, we know just how important technology is in this day and age. S3 is a cutting-edge and trusted vendor that provides state agencies with licensing, mobile, CRM, marketing, law enforcement, and event management solutions all in one place. They are dedicated to benefiting the resource, so check out the link in the show notes to sign up for their newsletter and get the industry insights, news, and content that can keep you up to date on the tech that helps drive conservation into the future. A Game Warden's children's book, titled A Cowboy in the Woods, is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood. While trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. 
Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 70, Jeff Bale, Interview and Interrogation, which is really a lot of what a Game Warden does when he does his investigations. A lot more interviewing than interrogation, I would say, John. But certainly yeah. uh, we did a lot of interviewing to make these cases because we're not always present for these cases. So it takes some skill sets, which uh, Jeff talks about through this podcast and, and the next one too, which is very engaging, uh, former conservation out of Illinois, and uh, shares his passion, developed the whole process, and just a very intriguing, very intelligent guy that brings that interview and interrogation to the game wardens, the conservation, the police in the woods, I'll say, environmental police, all those people. He trains them to do a more effective job at doing these interviews and interrogations. But we got a milestone here, John. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited. We went over to Megaphone as a platform through Waypoint TV and the Waypoint app uh, around in May. And I just looked last night on Megaphone. We're at 91,000 downloads for the Wardens Watch and Thin Green Line. Uh, just so... We're over 100,000 for the year when you start putting our former uh, former podcast distributor on there. We're over 100,000 for the year, and we still got a couple months left. We're, 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 gonna, we're killing it. We're, we're doing, and it's all because of listeners, but uh, I'm just excited. When I saw that number, I'm like, wow, we haven't even been on this platform maybe three quarters of a year, maybe half a year, and we're at 91,000 downloads. I'm excited. Yeah, but I'm really pumped. I think I think we're really blessed to, to have... Um, to have so many followers uh, adding to the program this year when it's been kind of a, a you know crazy year of us changing platforms and promoters and yeah. uh, different distributors. A lot of what work. I can say is <laughs> it's a lot of work, mostly you and Jay doing yeah. a lot of work on that. So kudos to you guys on the production side. Um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But, but I can say this, man, we are so grateful to our listeners. You guys mm. have really brought this thin green line ethos and the warden's watch message out and you've mainstreamed it. And, uh, 
a lot of this was through the pandemic when I got to join forces with Wayne and, and, and get become part of this. And then when we look at what was built before that, and uh, I think we're, Wayne, we're getting close to 300 plus thousand downloads yeah. since, uh, since the platform started when you started mm-hmm. Warden's Watch and it's growing, you know, quite exponentially monthly um, as we do both platforms. So the challenges are on us to keep it going and we're going to keep it going. We got some amazing, not only national, but worldwide guests coming up on the conservation front. Yeah. And a uh, big thanks to all you guys out there for, uh, for keeping us going, for helping us build and uh, tell a friend, tell two friends, and we will keep delivering. And, and thank you so much. This is really exciting, man. I'm yeah. stoked. And we have a special thanks to Dr. Tina, right? Yeah, we got to give talk to Tina Jekyll a, a mm. big thank you. She was uh, gracious enough to join us for the live Q&A after yeah. the four-part officer-involved shooting series um, uh, on your incident and all the uh, counseling and having Paula Booth on there, uh, yeah. your awesome counselor that you know helped you then and even through the end of your career Absolutely. and having her back on. But it was really nice for uh, uh, Dr. Tina to to come on board. Um, she became a Patreon member shortly following mm-hmm. that appearance or right around that appearance time. She, too, is an EAP counselor, critical incident counselor um, based in Florida, dealing a lot in the southeast of the U.S. for first responders, law enforcement, military, um, especially traumatic response uh, services following. But she works nationally, too, at, at the academy level. And a lot of you listeners and uh, friends of ours on the podcast platform work in that field. And, and she is awesome to work with. If you need those services, definitely reach out. And thank you, Tina, for, uh, for being part of this and helping promote and push the Thin Green Line conservation methods message. Super grateful to have you on board the Thin Green Line. Yeah. And, and, Warden's Watch. and that sponsorship means so much to, to come on and sponsor us uh, through Patreon. Just being a Patreon member gives you guys extra video, extra photos, extra. We, we throw a lot of extra stuff up there so you can see behind the scenes. And it supports us at lowest bid is $5 a month. If you want to go to the triple threat, you get John's knives when they're in stock. I know John <laughs> and his Never book signature yeah. for, for sure. But that, it certainly helps us and uh, helps us pays the bills on this podcast. And we really appreciate that, Dr. Tina. She she understands that and, and where we're coming from. So I, I just can't say thank you enough. We're, we're getting back to Jeff Bale, interview interrogation, so much part of a wildlife law enforcement officer's forte to get those tool sets at the beginning. He does a lot of cadet classes, John, so he, he builds up the beginning, as you know. And that's when we need those skill sets. And I don't think we focus enough in the academies to give people those skill sets and the communication aspect. And I hope we're starting to focus on those communications, on those interview skills to make those big cases. And and Jeff really focuses on that. And I think it's going to be a a great warden's watch. Yeah, it's fantastic. Jeff's Jeff's message, Wayne, was was spot on uh, because he obviously is a heck of an interrogator, uh, a heck of an interviewer. And I've always said, and my mentors always said in the academy, you know, what makes a good game warden an outstanding, exceptional one percenter game warden is his or her ability to be an, uh, a competent and excellent interviewer. Mm. And I know from uh, my career and being around people that are excellent interviewers and learning through osmosis and watching them in action, colleagues in fish and wildlife in California and classes I attended. I mean, there's amazing classes on this that were mentioned in the podcast um, and it should happen at the academy level. And it doesn't always happen at the academy level. And it's not uh, a, a given skill. It takes development and it takes trial and error of getting beat because you ask the wrong questions or you spook somebody off. 
And I can honestly say my best cases were really good interviews that I was able to be very patient with and say just the right thing at just the right time to get a statement you didn't see coming from anywhere because it was a case that happened a year before, or it happened 35, 40, 100 miles away. And we know how spread out we are. And we're following up on a lot of cases that are weeks old, months old, and it's all in your gab magic and how good you talk to suspects mm. and witnesses that are going to make or break that case because you're not going to make it happen in, in live action. It's not that type of case. So this is a great one to listen to. Learned a lot from it and important tools you need for, uh, to be that conservation officer, an exceptional one. Excellent. Warden's Watch, Episode 70, Jeff Bale. Thank you for listening. Super excited that we have Jeff Bale from Illinois. When I think Illinois, I think big deer because that's what they're known for, big, big deer. And the other thing, Jeff, that I think of is I think it's the first one that I saw advertise conservation police. And I may be wrong. I may be wrong, but some reason that just sticks in my head that you guys were the first ones to label yourself as conservation police. I know there is still quite a handful out there that do that and I could be the wrong but it just sticks with me that yeah, you guys labeled that started that. that started in uh, I got hired in 1979 and that that chief had three years before that new chief it was uh, civil service you know that type mm. of thing but then a uh, new chief from uh, up around uh, Chicago he became our chief and he's actually he's the one who hired me he changed it to Illinois Conservation Police so what year do you think and, that was? Uh, probably 75. Wow. So do you know if you guys were the first ones to do that or not? I don't know. I think uh, so there's an East, uh, somebody on the East Coast, some agency is conservation police as well. Maybe it's Virginia. Yeah, Maryland Virginia. labels themselves police. Uh, Massachusetts. Na- that's it. Yeah. Like natural resources police. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. So it, ours is CPO, conservation police. But I mean, I, I don't think I ever said that if, if I stop somebody in the park for some traffic violation, then, you know, I would say police, you know, mm-hmm. and go through that. But if I'm checking a, a frog hunter, I said, state game warden, how's it going? Right. You know, so or and a lot of times conservation officer, you know, um, if it's at night and I know a lot of the guys did it, if it's at night, uh, police was probably, you know, right there. So they knew exactly who, uh, who who they were being stopped by. And boy, you so, just you hit yeah. some really cool things that come to my mind. Is you're using communication appropriately appropriately where it needs to be used. <laughs> you like you said, you're saying police at night. You're using police when you don't think maybe they don't recognize you. But then you're you're out there checking a fisherman or a frog catcher, and you're saying you know state game warden, and they're comprehending. And we're going to get into a lot of that because that's kind of been your forte is communication, reading people, uh, interview and interrogation, which all really rolls into you know communication and understanding it and how to get people to relax and tell you what you need to know as far as cases. Correct, Jeff. Well, not even need to know is uh, in the is, is to uh, get someone relaxed enough to tell you a secret, mm. and that that's uh, no one no one likes to tell secrets even to their best friend. And when you get someone to tell a secret, you've 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 made it. On a, and then second, if that secret is being told to an agent of the government, that then you know you've really made it. 
Mm. So, because uh, I mean, that's what that's what it, they're all they're all secrets. You know, the the, stu the studies actually say there's there's a difference between uh, uh, secrets and just concealing information and stuff. But that's a technical thing. But I've often thought that if I can get this person to tell me their secret, uh, even if it's just a uh, uh, a shell that they threw on me. And it's down. It, they threw it on me as I'm as I'm walking up, you know. And and I need that. I need them to tell me that they threw that shell, and what the shell is, and then afterwards why they sh why they did that, and and then get him get them to write that in in writing, present to the state's attorney, and get a get a, a plea without going to court. Uh, that that's really important. It saves a lot of time, as you know. When mm. when, when when you have a confession, it pretty pretty much. I mean, I've been to many, many, I used to have uh, in Peoria County, the fourth Thursday of the month was conservation court. And it, it was really kind of fun. I didn't, I didn't know anything like that. I, I never had that when I was a city police officer in Peoria County. That's exactly what happened. And I'd have all these stack of cases. And um, if the defense attorney, if there was a, uh, a confession attached, attached to it at, uh, at the minimum, uh, an admission, it just about tended to, to plead the plead it. That, that, that was the end of it. Mm. But I've been many, many trials. I think I had six jury trials. Yeah, six or seven jury trials, uh, two or three hundred bench trials. Who knows? But but when a confession was involved and uh, so, and the attorneys actually knew that uh, pretty much the, that the game wardens, there's probably a confession attached to it. If it's not written, it's oral. It's in the report that they, they uh Research actually says that the, um, the that's the worst thing a defense attorney wants to see is a confession. He does not want to see uh, that his client actually admitted to what he did wrong. That that's a hurdle. On the, uh, but another attorney told me over coffee one time. He goes, "But that that, that earned me an extra five thousand dollars in suppression <laughs> hearings. So go ahead." <laughs> so so there's an aspect there's that aspect to it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's go back in your career and, and, you know, how you started and how you kind of developed this uh, niche uh, among game wardens. And I, I'm sure a lot of uh, the game wardens that listen to Wardens Watch are going to recognize your name. And I've sat in at a NAWIA conference, I believe it was, uh, and you did do some instruction there. So I, I've been in one of your classes and it was just uh, very engaging. And, uh, yeah, it's just interesting how you got where you got and, and to develop those skill sets. Yeah, there, you know, it's um, like serendipity, right? I'm mm. sure you've had serendipity experiences. You're running one right now <laughs> yes. with, with your, your podcast business. That was not planned 10 years ago. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> that's kind of what it is. And, and, uh, when you talk about a niche, I suppose the training is, is a niche, but, but interviewing and interrogation and communication skills really isn't a niche with any policeman, obviously. But it's... I type when when I, I usually start my classes with a story that ha that happened to me in, in a county next to me. I live in that county right now, and um, it, it was a a call that said uh, the county had two kids in custody with uh, two deer out of season. So I'm heading over there to interview them, and I get halfway there, and they say, "Well, now go to the jail because they they're at the jail now." I don't know. I, I still don't know why they left there. And um, the deer was still out there, which was, that's a whole different issue. So I get to the jail and uh, the first person that I interviewed, the main person, I only interviewed one at, at that night. He, uh, the, the officer told me that he said that he found the deer dead. 
And I know that with the wardens that are listening now, that happens a lot that, you know, I found mm-hmm. Well, there's a thing called uh, concealing information. He left out something, the fact that he killed it and that he found it. And uh, so when I teach in the classes, the main thing that, that especially interrogation, I, I ask and I, I try to point out what, what is it that you have to have the person tell you? Do they have to tell you that they had the right hand on the tiller at the at the time of the boat accident? Uh, uh, do they have to tell you that they knew the girl was underage in a, in a, some incident at the state park? Uh, do they have to tell you that they they knew what they were shooting at was a hawk and and not a blackbird? That type of thing. So he had to tell me that he didn't find it, and I knew that's what. So so I I quote quote interrogate him and i tell you what wayne i ran out of things to say in 10 minutes <laughs> this is early on i mean really early on and <clears throat> i discovered later on in the research very clear that when when the the officer runs out of things to say that's when uh, they typically win mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's like they're invoking miranda without having ever have to say it uh, because uh they I just, I didn't know what to say. So I came out of the room and, and I told the, the, uh, the officer and he goes, you want me to try, try? I go, sure. And he came out in 15 minutes and he says, I remember this very clear. He says, he's ready for you. So I walk in the room there. Now, when I, you can, you can see me here and see how the arms are, are crossed like yep. this, you know, with a barrier. You know, you know, I sit like this, uh, walk like this. It doesn't mean anything when it's innocuous, just classroom type thing. But in co- in the situational context, that kid was all locked up. His legs were locked up. They call it a figure four. So you can get a confession from, from somebody in, in that position, but it takes longer because he's he's really got his feelings all wrapped up. So I go in there and he's got his head, he, his head is down staring at the floor. And he gives me a whole confession on what's going on, including why he lied and the whole thing. And that night I asked that officer, I said, how did you do that? And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, how did you do that? I said, I went in there. I got nothing. You went in there and got everything. And that's, that is kind of the catalyst of what happened here. And I started going, this is probably six, eight months into my career. And that's when I kind of stumbled on to you know what, maybe I should get some training in this. Mm. And uh, believe it or not, when I was a city police officer for almost three years, I didn't have any INI training, zero, except in the, in the police academy, which you know how that is, what, six hours, yep. something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's is just really very topical. So you're just going by the gut. And, and when people go by the gut, which what I, I was doing, less successful. You get some, but not really the, the good ones. So I started going to training and it just, as I, as, as I got going to the training, it just kept piling up and piling up and piling up more and more and more. And my, and one of my training officers, Danny Alexander, put me into these uh, mobile training units, which I ended up teaching for later on. Yeah, uh, this class, this class, that, so it just kept going and going and going and going and <clears throat> I got pretty good at it. And a lot of times I learned by just uh, on the lunch hours, you know how that is way when you just talk to somebody and they tell you some anecdotal evidence or anecdotal thing. Uh, that's, <laughs> I go, that right there I can use. And that ties into what the, the person says, uh, the uh, instructor says. So I really, I just became completely obsessed with this. 
And I wasn't the best communicator at all. I got confessions and stuff only if I had evidence on them, which is kind of easy. And you know how it is. You've got evidence and you confront them. It's called direct evidence confrontation. Well, that you'll get people, and I did too. But what happens if they say, I don't know, that's not my deer, that's not my gun. It's exactly what happened to me with that kid. And I, I couldn't get him. I had, I had no structure to my um, uh, approach. And I didn't know what to say when he said, I didn't do it. Very, very difficult uh, for the, especially young officers. What am I supposed to say when he says, I didn't do it? Well, now I can just go on and on and on and on and on about anything and everything. And pretty soon he's, he's giving you a secret. Mm. So that's kind of how I got into the, tr the training. And during the, the, the early training, uh, there was a, an instructor. His name is John Milner. He was a police chief in a Chicago suburb, suburb. And I got into his training and he was one of these, these, uh, these men that, that I just absolutely connected with. Uh, not a hunter, not a uh, uh, not a, a, a fisher, fisherman, but he's he's a, he's a polygraph operator. Um, he's actually a hypnotist, and he had he had this most incredible classroom demeanor and and teaching style. And I'm looking at this. I said, "Now this guy, I get, mm. I get." So I wrote my first training manual, which was only like six sheets of paper. Right, stapled together. <laughs> it, it was only four hours, like the maybe the late '80s, and then uh, a couple years later, uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's ten pages. And during that time, from up to about '93, uh, that's when I was really taking all these these classes, tons of them. I think I've got over 400 hours of uh, classroom training. So I I became friends with uh, with John. And he's, he's a, a mentor. He, he ended up teaching with him. I just talked with him the other day. Mm. And um, he, he is, he's uh, so, and his whole idea was, uh, was structure, was structure and, uh, and body language analysis. I didn't know until I met him that body language and lie detection were two separate animals. I really didn't know about that. And that's kind of how I got into the body language analysis. So for the first, uh, you know, from 88, 89, all the way till maybe 90, 92, 90, 93, I'm taking all these classes. And Did you, did you get that first and confession, I'm, and I'm doing, Did you get that first confession you told me that uh, the warden came out, he's ready for you? Did he prep him? Did he Did he get you get the young no, he, guy he, all he, set and you, he came oh, in? Oh, yeah, 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 that was a, that was a county deputy, and, okay. and uh, he, he just, you know, he, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he had a uh, time on the street. He knew what he was doing, what to say, what not to say, you know, because, again, I went in there as they go, hey, I've got you with the deer. You might as well confess that type of, a, of an attitude yep. that did not work with an 18 year old kid. It just didn't work. And he said he's ready for you. I went in there and he told me the whole story. Mm. And, and I and I, I go, I want to learn that tonight. Tonight, <laughs> G give me all the wisdom you can before you go off duty. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of where it started, nice. and uh, I got into the the, the training. So, uh, yep, that, that's a it's a crazy story, but but it really. And I, I often wonder what would have happened if I wouldn't have had that experience. If I wouldn't have <laughs> right. been working that night, didn't have it's weird, huh? Right. No, I, I would agree totally with you because, and that's so much of a game warden's work is interview and interrogation. Um, 
yeah, it's learning because you're not an eyewitness. There's several eyewitnesses. You have the evidence will tell the story, but now, like you said, if you can get a confession, that saves you so much time on their end, your end. Uh, you always treat people better that tell you the truth. Uh, even when we have to work through sometimes, I think, uh, to get that confession in the end, it's how, even when they give it to you, it's how they react and how they move forward. Or are they going to be, uh, yeah, and we've had so many of these people prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. And then you prove it. And, you know, I remember going ready to go into court and all of a sudden these guys are like, okay, we're going to plead, <laughs> you know, and it's based on forensic evidence and then the interview and interrogation skills. That's right. They take you to the mat. You know, defense mm-hmm. attorney is going to look at all this. You know, is it going to be, of course, it has to be legal. You know, that's a whole different threshold with the Miranda issue, right. issue and false confessions and coercion, that type of thing. And um, and he taught me, you know, when you said interview and interrogation, uh, John taught me that there, inter, it's never, an, it, never go to a course that says an interrogation and interview class. It's interview and interrogation. It's because the interview is, is, is supposed to be first. We, we mm. do not interrogate. He stressed this, and I stressed it constantly. We just do not interrogate uh, a factually innocent person. Yeah. When and how many don't interrogations? In- I don't, you know, I think uh, back in my career, I, it's more of an interview, and a lot of it's at their kitchen table in my truck, you know, and it's not an arrest situation. So I never really put that down the interrogation. I always remember seeing when I took that course, the interviews with the homicide detectives and the homicide suspect, that's what I call an interrogation. They're an interrogation room. They're going through that whole process. I I never had that. I mean, I guess I had interviews at the police department, but they were interviews. Those people went home after I built my case. And I I guess I just never, we never had that level. That, that, that they're incarcerated, you do that interrogation process. Well, that, that, that's a stereotype and, and, um, of what an uh, interrogation actually is. And, um, I, and I teach a, uh, um, uh, a thing called the communication continuum. You know, there used to be a force continuum. Some of the states don't have that anymore. Well, the first, the first part of the, the communication continuum is, is the interview. It's, it's just fact gathering. That's all it is. Mm. And if the person... F- Flunks the interview, Wayne, if they flunk, if, if they're lying to me and I need to get them to confess, then that's the only time that the officer is authorized to step into the next box, which is uh, the accusing is to, is to tell somebody that they're lying. And, um, and that's, a tri- that's a tricky situation is to tell somebody that they're lying. So that's where the body language analysis and all that came because it, it, uh, what John taught me and what I put into the classes um, – it is incredible patience in the interview. Mm. Be, be as long, the, 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 the interrogations, the studies are really clear. The interrogations will be shorter and less, uh, less intense if the interview is longer, if that rapport is building. And I teach even, even uh, as well that even, you know, if the person, uh, let's say I was going to interview you and, um, and I decided that you were, uh, you actually did, uh, uh, do what, let's say a deer, a deer case, I might just shake your hand and leave and then set up a second interview. And if I come back from that interview, I'm going to I'm going to actually have you and make you lie to me again. I'm going to make you go through that entire story. And what that actually does is that the more lies that a person tells, the easier it is for him to confess. Mm. 
he just keeps building. It's, it's the, and the analogy I like to use is that the more poison somebody, somebody drinks, the quicker you're going to go to ER. So <laughs> it's a crazy technique. And I just stumbled onto that over the years that, you know what, I think I'm going to just have them repeat this story, even though I know I'm going to interrogate him. Mm-hmm. And boy, did that really, really work. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like, it's like a reboot. You know what I mean? It's like a yeah. reboot and they tell the story because they think that they fooled you. And then I would say something like, Oh, by the way. And then you jump into that interrogation and, and try to get your confession. Right. But this is all authorized. It, we, we just don't want to tell somebody, uh, I know you threw the gun on me. Where is it without really having an independent mm-hmm. uh, information that they actually had a gun um, there was one officer that somebody told me that they used to walk up to a blind and all the time say, where's the rest of your ducks? Every blind that he mm. would walk up to, he would say, where's the rest of your ducks? And supposedly he made some, some cases on that, you know, yeah. but then later on he got, I, I get, I guess that, that it, he got called on that by, by the community that he was always assuming that everybody, every uh. duck hunter had an over. I know what he was doing, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that he was able to to suck out those violators like that. Yeah. But it's, it's a little dangerous, right, to tell right, somebody. Right, right. You're always on a negative stance right off. Uh, get, getting back to those lies, it's Todd Shefchuk. He came on with me. He was a really good investigator. He did a lot of that type of stuff. He would get these, do these interviews, get written statements. You know, a couple months later, he'd go back to him, make sure everything was solid and everything. But then he'd go back at the statute of limitations. He had all his files that he didn't have solved and three years on a big game case. So three months before that, that those statute of limitations would go bye-bye, he would reinvestigate Jeff. And the cases he made, he, he even made a case the last day of being able to make a case. The last day he got a, he nice. got a because people don't remember their lies. You know, so he tried to get it all over again, and you know he he had what they wrote down, but they couldn't remember their lies three years later, and then they would come up with all kinds of crazy stuff, and he'd be like, "Well, that's what you told me last time," and the truth never changes. You know, it's hard to remember a lie. Nope. You remember the truth. You remember what you did, and I, I don't know how many cases, but I was always impressed that he'd do that. I wish I'm I'm a quick, easy that's guy, a, unfortunately. <laughs> Very slick way of doing it. That, that's oh. right. Uh, yeah, just those those stale stale cases, mm. just to knock on the door. A- absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and have uh, lock everything in in prior, and you know, just just bring that all back up for three years later before the statute of limitations is, is done. Some of the cases he didn't get, but he had great success with that, and, and just caught people so off guard uh, <laughs> to try to to, to talk oh. about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, stale cases are kind of a hallmark of being a warden, right? Mm. They're just to use uh, January, February, March to uh, to go do uh, my interviews that I've stacked up over, over the over the time over the you know the, the hunting season, and to, uh, people think it's all over with, and then they get a knock on the door about something. You know, they've checked in something wrong, uh, um, some information, and uh, they got to come up with a story on the on the on the mm. steps right there. They never, especially taxidermy inspections, right? That yeah. they, they think they're, they're safe after mm-hmm. taxidermy inspection. Yeah, those are those are fun. And the more you do these, you know, more more that this uh, structured approach. That's what I call my first manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a partner, Greg Hunter. He be, uh, actually he helped me develop the, the departments uh, 
uh, interview programming for four or five years and we, we talked together, uh, he, he, he had a really good structured way of interviewing people. It was very, very disciplined. I was a bit uh, fragmented. Type A personality, moving around a lot, you know. He's his he had a type B personality, so I was able to tap into that, you know. And it, it it's really something how how you can get someone uh, to tell you something that they shouldn't. Mm. I mean, legally, mm-hmm. and that's what this is. That's a, what it's all about. But it really does start, like John taught me, with the interview and interrogation. Interview is first. It's, it's always first, mm. even if you know the person is is illegal. Right. Uh, to have, have, have them go through it again. Even if it's the first interview, I would knock on somebody's door. And um, if, if they flunk my body language test or whatever, I, I wouldn't let them know I'm on to them. I might go out to the truck and then come back in and say, hey, I, I got something to tell you. You know, it's not working right. It, something like that and move into the next phase. But uh, I got my fair number of uh, officer complaints early on in, the, in, in, my, in my career and I think a lot of that was had to do with uh, just just skipping over the interview part uh, too too fast. So if I was uh, going to do a two minute interview when I was in 1979, maybe in 1995 I might do a 20 minute interview, and then maybe in 2000 I might be, do a 30 minute interview or 40, and then come back and do a five minute interrogation. It's too bad that uh, we're born with information and not born with wisdom, right? Yeah, I, th- I, I really think it worked opposite. For me, Jeff, I lost patience as I got older in my career. I knew where I wanted to get to, and I'd say, hey, I've been doing this job for 20-plus years, so we can do And I'd be with a younger officer, too. I'm like, we can dance around this all day long, and, and probably you're going to tell me the same thing you're going to tell me right now because I know what you did, so now I just need you to tell me what you did. And I got, I got to the point because I, I just didn't have the patience anymore for it. <laughs> Yeah, and then the trick is that way. What happens if he says I didn't do it? Now, now then I let the young guy take it over. But I, I was pretty effective That's, in the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, you can do that. Fair yeah, enough. I just uh, I got I lost patience, but I and I remember being with those new new guys, and they were doing just what you did, building the rapport, and it was taking so long. <laughs> and I just, uh, here goes my patience, and then the lieutenant would jump in and, and lay it down the law, and, and generally it worked. But if it didn't, I'd say, yeah, that's your case. You can finish that off later. <laughs> and it's personality. I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I should have I should have took one of your courses or remembered them because it was just, but it was me. It was the, the patience thing. And I, I like that, you know, you're absolutely right. As you mature, as you gain that knowledge, it's, you know, I look back, you know, I think we all think, no, geez, I wish I knew now or then what I know now. And we would be so oh, sure. much better. The cases that we probably did miss, because those, I always say, John Norris and I always say, the cases we remember are the cases we didn't make. Those, those are the ones that burn in your soul for the rest of your life, because you know you gave everything you had, and you just couldn't come up with with enough to make a case. So, um, yeah. yeah the, and I was always jealous of the of the states that were allowed to had uh, one party consent uh, uh, for mm-hmm. recording. Yeah, I'm jealous too. Here. New Hampshire's oh, two party as well. They they could go back if uh, and listen to their to their interrogation, listen mm. to what, what they did wrong, what they right. could improve at. I couldn't do that. So what I would do is that when they came up with, uh, I used to have cassette players. I would I would tape my myself as soon as I get back in the truck. Uh, whatever if it if it went right or wrong or whatever, I would talk into the the uh, recorder 
about mm. the interrogation. I should have done this. He did this. Maybe some uh, facts of the case as well, so I didn't re- uh, forget about them. And then they came up with a thing called a micro recorder. They were really small, and then and that they were. It was still tape. And then later on, it, it's the digital. Mm. So all that stuff that that I. But I could not. I couldn't tape the interview right. because as a cl- class for a felony, and I didn't. I, I guess I did a handful of them. I would ask, "Is it okay if I tape tape this?" And I have some of those. But usually, I, I I just didn't want them freaking out over being uh you know memorialized on tape. Uh, I thought it would not relax them. It wasn't as relaxing as just talking to me in plain clothes at the kitchen table, just like you have and every other game warden has with a cup of coffee. Right. You know, and that's it. Right. And then, uh, so that was my I had a uh, I had a developed an, an Andy Griffith approach. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, and I teach that in class too. I always thought that Andy Griffith was was just a really f- fictional character, but he's just a low demeanor, easy right. demeanor. But sometimes, uh, as you know, and other wardens that are listening, you've got to be Barney from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I, I I tended to have a Barney approach early, and maybe that was because I was a city police officer. I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, I really didn't have to 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 have that type of. Uh, uh, delivery that didn't last very long you know you get uh, a bunch of citizen complaints about demeanor you go well maybe i should change you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) yeah actually a really good friend of mine for a christmas present wayne he gave me a copy of uh of uh dale carnegie's book how to win friends and influence people Ah. and i still have it to this (laughs) he he goes he goes uh you may want to read this from time to time, Jeff, and, and I still I still have it. So uh, that, that was nice of him to do that because obviously, I mean, that's a, that's a staple of communications. It's really old, 1936 copyright or something like that. So yeah. uh, so that so that worked that worked on. But no, it's 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 been it's been fun. It's it's nice uh, staying tethered. I've been retired 15 years and I'm still tethered to everybody. So yes, kind of neat to uh, the the warden friends. Uh, in the back of the room that have uh, 10 years on. And then in the front, you know, you've got 15 or 20 recruits that are just wide eyed. They just have the, you know, the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's kind of neat to see that. Right. And you must've got good at it. So, you know, other wardens were calling you over for cases <laughs> saying, Hey Jeff, I've got this case. I'm going to go do this interview. Can you come with me? Cause I know we had some guys that were known uh, it, as good it, interviewers and, we, you take advantage of that, you know. We had one called Father Dave. You know, he he had that he had that <laughs> demeanor about him where people ended up trusting him, and he built that rapport. And before you know it, they would confess to him. And Father Dave did an awesome job at interviewing interrogation. And he just he has that. It still has that demeanor about him. You still want to tell him stuff. That, um, that's that's true. And that, when you're working, and I found when you're working for another officer. When you're working for, with another officer, the uh, uh, you get even better at it because it's not your case; it's mm. it's it's his case. And um, I remember they sent me to Southern Illinois one time about a, a an overbag on the duck ducks. It was stale case, and the tip was is that this guy overbagged on ducks. That's it. So walked into the to the room, and um, I'm all ready for 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 the person ready for a long interrogation, you know, and is <laughs> that a police department? And I said, and I'm looking at my notes, and I just, on the fly, I just folded the manual. It wasn't a tactic, although I've done that before. And I said, I'm just going to ask this kid. And I go, hey, listen. I said, we're here because the complaint is that you took too many ducks on opening day. 
course, you don't want to say how many because it might not be correct. Right. And I said, did you, did you do that? He goes, yeah, I probably did. They were really flying. <laughs> and that and that was it. <laughs> I, you know, I drove three hours for a long interrogation. And the guy. <laughs> so, you know, that doesn't happen very often, mm. uh, obviously. But but that was that was kind of neat. And um, another officer called me uh, in, in the district and, and uh, this this hunter uh, he said that he was up in a tree stand, saw a wounded deer, and he, and he shot it. And he, he told the officer that I, I know that I can keep this deer as long as I had nothing to do with it. And he was correct on that. Mm. So the officer went out there and he said, as he was pulling down on the deer with a bow, he said, somebody shot it underneath it. That's what it was. You get this mixed up, all game warden stories. Yeah. So the, so the officer goes out there and it was snow cover and he walks all around the stand way out there. He, there's no footprints. So he goes, uh, I think this guy might be lying. Can you come over? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, but I want you to help me. So we met him at the police department and I said, uh, I want you to listen for the uh, language. I want you to listen for language, Dan, and, and I'm going to watch the body. So, so he's still sticking with his story that a poacher shot this just before he was going to pull the bow back. And <clears throat> I said, if you hear something, I said, turn your hat backward. Mm. So I'm whipping through this guy and, and he's, he's starting to capitulate a little bit. I'm not really sure what happened, but I know it, probably, it just didn't happen the way he said. And I look up and I see Dan's hat is backwards. So we took a break. I went out. I go, what'd you see? He goes, he changed pronouns. At the very end, because I kept going through, uh, rewinding him, I kept go through the story, and sure enough, Wayne, he like you said before, he couldn't keep up the story. Mm. He had he was suppressing he was suppressing we. He kept saying I I I I, and I wasn't paying attention to the language at that time. He was, which is great, two officers, and he said he changed it. He changed it to we the last time you said what did you do when when, uh, when you stopped the, the vehicle. And he said, we stopped the vehicle. So what happened is that he took a, a rifle with him in, ca- in case <laughs> in case the, the uh, deer was a little bit out of range. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a high-powered rifle up in the tree with him, and he shot it. That's what he did. His mm. wife had dropped him off. That's where the we came from. Uh... And he was, suppressing the, he was suppressing the we. He didn't want her to get in trouble. She didn't know that he had the gun. He, he, they, he just popped, she popped the trunk. That was the end of that. And he went out there, he grabbed the gun. So, but he, he was all worried about his wife. And once, I forgot what I said to him when, when we came back in, probably something that I know what, what you said, probably that you left some things out or whatever. And he finally gave it up. He, he finally gave it. So that, that was kind of neat to, to, it was a good deer case. Right. I mean, this guy was trying to smoke, smoke the system totally unsolvable as i found out in many of these big cases i had even the small ones totally unsolvable without the person saying that they did it yeah and uh that that's 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 fun those are those are great cases and and also by the way those are really fun <laughs> to tell your supervisor too right when you call yes. them up you go hey uh, I, I, I you make any cases this uh yeah i do i got one here <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a lot out of moving around and do and doing working with other guys in, in the cases, and which is which is nice be, because then they get to look good, I get to look good. You don't go to court because you got a confession, and they're they're uh, 
they just want to they just want to get rid of the, the case you know they just want okay i'll pay I'll take the gun whatever like that yeah those are great yeah no and i used to take a lot of guns again you, you talk about being young you know take those guns for evidence you know and and tag them and put them in the back of your cruiser and then when you start stacking up guns and you got to go home and take care of those guns for evidence and yeah i start you know i started taking pictures taking serial numbers later they were a lot easier to take care of and and not have to worry about I know. but uh, I, again it's it's pretty interesting how we develop as game wardens and you know, this is a this is a really good skill set that you provided for young game wardens because, uh, especially, I, I'm glad you honed it towards conservation officers because you know all the schools I went to to an interview interrogation schools were all police schools. To have a game warden teach game warden stuff because we hear different things, the different terminology. You know, certainly the plural, the we, that we can key on as far as, you know, things go, and, and that's the type of thing I picked up in the police schools. But sure. we, we talk a different language a lot of times. I, until I started podcasting, I have a very good friend who's a trooper. He's like, Wayne, until I started uh, listening to your podcast, I really didn't get you. You know, here's another law enforcement officer telling, you know, another law enforcement officer, he never got him because game wardens are different at times. We have different priorities. Yep. We have different ways of thinking. He's like, I never got you. Listen to your podcast. I get you now. Now I understand, which I think is really important. And that's uh, talking our language. Uh, hunters, they get, I, I had a trooper friend that would stop and check fishing licenses because he liked doing it. And I came in behind him one day and a fisherman's like, hey, a trooper just chucked my license. Can he do that? I'm like, he absolutely can. And that's, that's a great thing. But again, takes them off out of their comfort zone so to speak, because they're used to a game warden checking their license, they're not used to a trooper. And it kind of comes in when it comes to an interview and interrogation classes that you can provide so much more because you understand the the elements where general police stuff it isn't, you can't, they, they, they understand crime, they understand interrogation, but to bring uh, deer hunting, fishing, all those things, you know, again, like, you know, new recruits that have never hunted and fished, so much more work to get where you can understand the hunter and understand the yeah. methods of take right. and things like that. And my hats are off to guys that haven't done something. I, I took a, a Rob McDermott came out turkey hunting with me, never turkey hunted. He's one of our newer officers, never turkey hunted, spent the morning, you know, on duty because it's training, turkey hunting with me, and I actually got a turkey. But that was what a cool thing for a, a new guy to, to reach out and do that stuff. Hey, I need to learn turkey hunting from the turkey hunter's perspective. Uh, and that's what they need to do because, yeah. That, yeah. It, that's, what, that's what happened. When I was going through all these these classes, I, I was always missing I was always mi- missing that, that prong, that, that game warden bend to it. I mean, you can't really go to a bad I&I class. I, I never went to one. No, I no, I would agree. Two or three. And, 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 uh, but but it, it's, it's a missing prong. It's, it's the warden's bend to the information. So I looked and tried to find one. I couldn't. And... I, I just decided I'm going to make my own class mm. and that's where this came from. So that's what that I submitted that and talked. And um, when, when I was, I did four or five years by myself and I finally decided I really wanted to make this bigger. So I got a hold of Greg and I got to tell you, there, none of, none of this would have happened had it not been for the uh, supervisors uh, approving it. Mm-hmm. So true. They, they, they have, here's a couple of guys go to the uh, Larry Clawson and Tom Walkenbinger. 
at the at the time and and the training officer Bill Henry and you know we want we want to train everybody in the state and that that takes a huge amount of money and a huge amount of amount of commitment and they were all on board for this there's just I really really credit them for taking a chance because they really didn't know anything about this you know and I showed them my early manual and then Greg and I had some ideas about making making our own workbook based on the structured approach to to I and I just a, a very structured approach and later that evolved into my training manual now that's called forensic interviewing and interrogation techniques for conservation officers that that little four that four word right there that's what it's for I got a lot out out of, out of the uh, police training but then I just said I'm going to add this prong to it and uh, that's that's uh, it was really nice of them to take a leap like that especially in funding right i mean mm. it, that takes money to do yeah and to, to train the whole state and then other states heard of heard of the class and then they started sitting in in illinois and then some of those uh, agencies hired me because i was teaching uh at that time the mobile training units which uh, uh are all police i i had i had police I, I cut my teeth my, my class on uh, training police. So when I trained the police, I had to have the kind of a, an inverse. If I use too many, see in Illinois, uh, uh, we have full police authority. So in the parks in the summertime, you know, we're doing radar and, and uh, underage drinking and drugs and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And later on, we do the hunting and fishing and snowmobile. So I had uh, good examples from both, both sides there. So when I was teaching the police, I had to be real careful not to use too many conservation examples yeah. because I, I would, I would tend to, to, to lose them, you know? Uh, so, and yeah, so, so I would, I would say, well, in, in, uh, I would use a deer case or whatever I said in your world. Uh, and then I would use a, a, a Walmart uh, shoplifting or something like this. Mm -hmm. And that, and that worked pretty good. So now what I teach, I teach, and I will give obviously a bunch of game warden examples, but then I could also give police examples. Mm -hmm. So it all it all ties in, and and the, there is no end to it on how how, how well a, a person can get at this. Just like your podcast here, uh, from if you look at your first podcast, I'm sure you go, I can't believe I did that, you know. Mm -hmm. And now here I've got I got yeah. this here. Yeah, That's listen to my cool first episode and listen to my episode now, Jeff, and you can see, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the, but the episode was great. Everything yeah. you know, because if you wouldn't have that that first episode, you wouldn't have this episode. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and if I had the first confession, even though you know, if I would have that experience, I would I wouldn't be talking to you now. Mm, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, it's a it's a, I I really can't imagine Wayne. I, I just can't imagine what my career would have been like had I not stumbled into this and this serendipity. Right. I, I just don't. I just don't know. I mean, it's and it's still there. I still hear people use a pronoun, um, mm. just talking. I still um, uh, use it I, in I, your day to day I, life, don't you, Jeff? <laughs> it, 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 it is. Yeah. You no, know, I made some great car deals. I tell you. Yeah. Stuff like, <laughs> but car salesmen. You know, the, I, I did learn that uh, the, those those car salesmen. They there's not one thing that they're not prepared for. Do you know that? Yeah. They they every. Every scenario they've workshopped, no matter what you say, they've got to come back. They've seen it. it all. So, you know, so the last time I was buying a car, a car, I'm trying to think of some way to ask a question indirectly, 
And I said, uh, <laughs> driving, I go, is there a question that I should ask you that I haven't asked yet? <laughs> that totally freaked that guy out. He had no, he didn't know what to say. And he, he just delayed like five seconds of, of uh, dead air. And he goes, I guess not. There's nothing here, you know? And, and, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he was holding back, obviously, you know, but, but, but I, but I still use it talking to people. Yep. Just it's like, you know, of, with kids, I mean, I, I don't know how many game wardens use this type of stuff on their kids. And then all of a sudden it keys in and, you know, like, uh, you did what? Or how'd you do that? Or when'd you do that? You know, and then, then the, the, the interview or rather the interrogation starts rolling out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I use it on my, my son one time. I, he's throwing rocks at cars in the driveway. So I sat him down and I said, Alex, I said, uh, I know that you were throwing rocks at the cars. And he's looking at me. He's probably eight. And I said, I just want to know if those were big rocks or little rocks. And he goes, they were the little rocks. <laughs> I go, okay, Alex, turn around, put your hands behind your back. Yeah, you're you done. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.